All right, that means we got to uh, begin. Uh, hopefully you got to, to be outside for a little bit today and enjoy this spring-like weather and uh, looking forward to this time of year. So, um, Also looking forward to spending time with you uh, studying the Bible tonight. Uh, looking forward to uh, this challenging chapter, um, but I, uh, I think there's some things that we can uh, pick out of this and uh, be beneficial for all of us. So. Before we begin, uh, Daniel, would you uh, lead us in a prayer, and then we'll uh, break into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's, uh, let's dig right into this. We've got a lot to, to deal with. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, kind of a tough chapter. Uh, we don't talk about it often. Um, and I think it's, um, on one hand, I'm glad we don't talk about it all the time. But if we never talk about it, I, I don't think that's good either. And so I think uh, you know, being able to delve into some of this, even though it's challenging, even though we may not have all the answers or any answers, um, just maybe some educated guesses. It's still good to study these things and um, to analyze this. Um, let's read the scripture. Um, Mike Shepherd, would you mind reading? Um, if you wouldn't mind picking up 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 16, you would read that. What version are you reading from? Uh, I'll read from the ESV. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so first 16 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as it if her head were shaved. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover. Let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper, proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory. For her hair is given to her for recovery. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, no, nor do the churches of God. Okay. So, um, 
Well, I'm going to tread lightly this evening. Um, I don't know that I'm going to be uh, dogmatic on any particular points. I don't have an agenda. Uh, I'm not trying to drive home uh, a particular stance on the head covering. Um, and yet, you know, even in our own midst, we have some that have decided that um, they have, while they're worshiping, uh, to wear a head covering or just during specific portions of uh, during a prayer uh, to have their head covered. Uh, others um, have come to the conclusion or haven't uh, looked at that at all to go, well, we, we don't think that's what it is. And so, again, I am not trying to um, uh, push any agenda from my standpoint here. Just kind of looking at the scriptures and seeing uh, what we can do there. So, Tony? Again, there's different viewpoints, different aspects of this um, that I think is important. Um, so I'll tell you all that I know on this t- topic. Now that we've got that taken care of, I will uh, pass along other viewpoints that I have found helpful on my own. Uh, really give Gary Fisher a lot of credit. I've uh, listened to a lot of different uh, viewpoints. Gary had a, I, I got his notes on his uh, discussion, and I really liked his balanced viewpoint of giving just some options and uh, maybe some issues with each one. And so, I uh, just kind of want to go through some of that. So, Jesse? Uh, I was just going to say, and maybe you're getting to the point where you're going to ask a but um, what really strikes me about this is the conclusions that he makes based on the natural order of things. And even how your external appearance kind of says something uh, about about the order of things, kind of in a similar way that Tony was talking about. Hey, you know, having that on your head doesn't seem like a big deal, but Paul goes to the kind of foundational concept that man is the glory of God. Like that's okay. That means a lot. And you know, to to have your head covered. Uh, in that moment says a lot. So I just think that it's really interesting how deep the conclusions go around the natural order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, he uh, references some of that. Um, so before we kind of get into this, I want to at least make sure that we understood his point. We, we've seen this in other um, passages as well, that we understand this uh, I, I like this image of this umbrella, just kind of under the care of, of this idea of God the Father, 
that Jesus is in submission to God the Father, that man is in submission to both of those, and woman is in submission to all of those, um, based upon the creation account. Uh, Going back to Genesis, this idea is not unfamiliar to us. We understand some of this. And we also um, see that Jesus is in no way inferior to God the Father. He is as superior, as equal as God the Father, and yet he has chosen to allow himself to be under um, the care of the Father. And so we can extrapolate some of those sayings and understand that uh, women, this is not an um, egocentric viewpoint that males are dominating the females and that we are trying to um, keep you in your place. That is uh, not the thing that I am trying to push. I don't think that's what the Bible... In fact, the Bible really elevates women more than any other book, especially at this time where women did not have much social standings. And the gospel says, women, you are on an equal level. You are a child of God. and really elevates uh, that position in that. But I think it's important for us to uh, just see these illustrated of there is something that God created in a way that he created that he wanted this particular order and was showing that to be beneficial for all. Um, That there is a distinction between genders and we we live in a world that is uh, constantly trying to break down those gender Barriers, those distinctions, what is a woman, what is a man, what are gender in general, and you know, we are under that attack. But again, that has been debated for a long time, too. That is not a new problem, it's just uh, reared its head up uh, once again. And so, understanding some of that, and so. Just understanding this, I think, will help some of the explanation or some of the um, helping us understand some of that. Um, So, let's look at this situation. And again, the verbiage is kind of confusing. I mean, you look through uh, some of this in that whole first section. Um, it's difficult to read, isn't it, Mike? I mean, it's, it's just, it, it's this logical thing set forth, but there's, um, it's kind of unknown. And I noticed in the ESV, when it was talking about uh, men and women, uh, the ESV mentioned that as husband and wife. And again, it's been mentioned to me that in this passage, there is no basis on husband and wife. You can't tell them whether it's male, female, or husband and wife. And so some translations do the man-woman thing. Some translations do the husband-wife thing. 
there is no distinction in the original, and that I have zero knowledge of that. So, um, so I'm not sure what that's saying. But we do see that there was a problem. Again, Corinth, thankfully, had a lot of problems that we can understand a few things so that we can analyze maybe our own situation. And um, this relationship of men and women was being... Challenge. There was something going on there that was not um, the way it should be, that he was addressing either a question or, you know, again, he's saying, you know, I praise you there, verse 2, because you remember me and everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. And he wants him to understand some of these things. Um, the second half of the chapter, he's saying, I don't praise you in this. You're doing something completely wrong. So, again, I don't know if this is just a reminder of uh, something that they have been doing that they just needed to be refreshed on, or um, whether that was a problem that Paul was trying to uh, get rid of here. So, the problem was that during praying and prophesying, uh, that there was a problem both with men and women that the men should be uncovered and the women should be covered. Praying and prophesying. So, um, what do those two things have in common? What's the similarities? Why praying and prophesying is the parameter of this covering or non-covering? What is it about those things, praying and prophesying, that um, we might take notice of? What are the similarities of that, Micah? They're both means of communication. Okay. All right. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, praying is uh, us speaking to God okay. in whatever form that looks like. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay, so yeah, communication. I think that summarizes it well. Again, prophesying is um, giving God's message to the people. And praying is taking the pleas of the people to God. And so it has both the vertical and horizontal aspects to both of those that the people we are praying to God and this prophesying, presenting God's word to the people. So there is both that horizontal and vertical relationship that is happening in these situations. Um, so let's kind of look at some of the argumentation. And so there was the top seven I'll, I'll just uh, mention um, here. Why this is a big deal. And so, one, probably the, the main thing is that, is this just a cultural thing? Like Tony mentioned, you know, we still have some of that 
built into our own system. I mean, again, this is a generalization, not a specific, but for the most part, men have shorter hair than women do. Why is that? It's a cultural thing. Uh, we just, that's kind of what we do. Um, I don't know if uh, losing your hair as male pattern baldness has any effect of that. Um, it might play into that. But again, there's a cultural thing that um, that's just kind of what it is. And is that what this is? Is just just having that covering on during praying and prophesying to appeal to this customary covering um, that was normal in their society that they needed to adhere to. The problem with maybe just a cultural aspect is that, is this a universal mandate? Is this for all people, for all times and all situations, if Paul's only speaking about a cultural thing? What is normal? What is customary? I mean, what if our culture was completely opposite and the men had long hair and the women had short hair? And that was okay. I mean, th- there's, that's hard to make an argumentation that, well, this is a cultural thing because cultures change. Cultures are different. Everybody has kind of what is normal if that is the only type of situation. Number two, is it just the hair, or is it a hairstyle arrangement? And I think that's important to look at as well. Um, The problem with, is it just the hair, is that Paul seems to make some distinction um, that if she's not wearing the covering, let her cut all her hair off. So that kind of lends itself to something that is removable, and then if a man has a covering on that he shouldn't have, you know, um, you know, you know, the Jewish were well now wear a yarmulke, you know, that type of a covering, but that was not traditional until like 400 A.D. for the Jewish men to even have that. Um, so I don't know. Is it just a style or length of hair? Um, but again, we can look at the Nazarite vow and say, well, the men who were spiritual had long hair and were commanded not to cut their hair. And that pushed them into a situation um, where they were righteous, and even though they had long hair. So I'm not sure um, with, with that as well. Uh, Tony and then Roy. It doesn't help with the chapter, oh, sorry. It doesn't help with the chapter, right? That, <laughs> right, and we were talking about completely different subjects, talking about the eating meats. And what does he say here? Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all the glory of God. Give no offense, because the Jews are Greeks. Just as I also think all men and all things are seeking only profit, but profit me, to you be saved. So, how does that not the very next verse? fall right into this of does not fall under these same type of things of I'm seeking to please others. And so is, is my is my conscience or is my liberty under someone else's conscience? I mean that's what it says a few verses before that. And so 
you can't separate the, these chapters and just go, I completely forgot what the previous chapter was talking about. <laughs> and as if it just didn't occur, but it's still, like, it's not just being that chapter. Like, it's been a full stream of thought from the first chapter on that it's been, he's been developing these things. It may take different nuances, mm-hmm. but he's still speaking about the same type of heart, the same type of consideration that you ought to have for your brother. Mm-hmm. And not just for your brother, but also for those even outside the church. That, what are they going to see? How are they going to receive this? And so, like with the Edenese, they definitely could have been not just a brother that, whether or not he could eat that, but also, I think we talked about that, of well, if it's someone outside the church, if they were doing this and saying, oh, this is how much so I don't like. Well, then how about I might do something different just because of that person's conscience. So what am I considering here in all of this? Someone else's conscience about that. I might be guided. I might have liberty, but liberty unrestrained is licentiousness. Yeah, Roy. I just want to say I don't want to beat the hair because first portions every man has something on his head while praying or prophesying changes his head. He could take his hair on and off. Yeah, I mean, unless you had a toupee, apparently. But uh, yeah, I don't think that is it. But again, that is a argumentation because again, you you see. Um, verse 15, you know, for her hair is given to her for a covering. And that, that makes us confused on some of that. And um, Number three is it spiritual gifts. Uh, again, this makes sense um, that we know prophesying was a spiritual gift. Uh, was praying a spiritual gift? Well, we know when uh, they spoke in tongues and had an interpreter... Um, we're going to talk about, you know, could they say amen to that and be in agreement with that uh, unless you had an interpreter. And so we're going to talk more about that. So uh, praying isn't listed specifically as a spiritual gift, but that is a high possibility of that. Um, so that's the only issue that I see with, with that argumentation. Number four, does it deal with just the church assembly? Does it happen just inside this building or any time that we're together? Bob, go ahead. Yeah, I, yeah this is a difficult chapter. And, you know, especially at one point it says, uh, indicates something like it's placed on the head, and another point is something that is already on the head. Uh, and I, I think when we focus on that, we're missing the point. Uh, how does he start out this chapter? The order of authority. And I think that has that overwhelming um, attitude throughout this. That I think we can get to the point, regardless of where we find ourselves on this issue... That there was something that they were doing out of order with that initial understanding of the umbrellas. And I, I, I do think that. He's going to do more with it in chapter He will, yes. Yeah, we're not done with those uh, authority uh, figureheads. Uh, so is it just in the assembly? Um, the problem is, does it jive with chapter 14 that we're going to be talking about where the women are told to keep silent in the church assembly? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that makes it difficult for him to say, well, 
it's just in the assembly, and then three chapters later, he's going to say, but be careful uh, what you're doing. Make sure that that is kept in the proper order. Um, that makes that a difficult scenario there. Number five, um, doesn't include all praying, regardless of its public. Is it a private prayer? Is it prayers with other people? Um, is it all praying and prophesying? All private public prayers where the women are covered and the men are uncovered? Um, again, it seems like that's something that you can put off and take, put on and take off. Um, and prophesying is almost always public, not private. And we, we understand a private prayer, but you wouldn't prophesy to yourself. That there's no reason to receive the Word of God and then use for your own good. There's always that public proclamation of that discussion that God is, is looking at. Number six... Um, women, if their heads are covered, could pray or prophesy in the public presence of men. Is that what it's talking about? Um, we have to compare to other passages here. Um, so like in First Timothy chapter 2, he says, so I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up their hands in a holy manner without anger and arguments. That passage indicates that that is the, the male only there, that that is a public pronouncement of, of the prayer. And that passage indicates uh, that that is the male and so there's, there's pros and cons with each of these. And finally, if the women are covered, leading prayers only with other women, and is, is that what it's talking about? Just in dealings with women, praying with other women? Um, again, how often did that occur? I don't know. Was that common practice? I don't know. Um, it's unlikely that prophesying only happened in a, a woman's group. Um, so, I don't know. That, there's some issues with that one as well. And again, this whole man-woman relationship seems like it was more than just a female-to-female issue. So if that was the significance of just having your head covered um, when you're with your own gender or men with your, if you have a male group, there, there seems to be that pecking order at the beginning that is playing a part into this. So again, those are kind of the, <laughs> I'll just call them the top seven arguments that uh, a lot of the brotherhood uh, like to take sides with. And again, I'm not pushing any of these. I think it's just important for us to kind of look at uh, what that is. And so that leaves us with a lot of questions. There isn't another passage where this is talked about anywhere else in the New Testament. Really, in the Old Testament. I mean, there, there's no other... This is our only source for this topic. And that doesn't make it inconsequential. 
But it's difficult for us to then compare and contrast from other passages to try to make sense of some of this. So, um, I'm sure that was as clear as mud. Um, I don't know, any questions, any thoughts on that? Uh, I don't want to dwell too long on this. Um, I know this is a topic that both men and women need to wrestle with. Um, I don't know. Robin? So, um, if the woman is um, subject to the man, and the man, the husband, requests that his wife pray, is, do we have scripture that addresses that in any way? That's interesting. Um, I don't know. Um, thoughts on that? I'm not sure if I want to open up a whole bunch of camera for that. Um, I have asked my wife to lead our family in, in a prayer. Um, and again, is that a personal decision? Probably. And, and again, I think um, we're dealing with these divisions. We're dealing with Corinth having these issues internally. That there's something going on in multiple levels of having a, a line between certain things. And I think this issue was creating some issues. I think that there are these gender distinctions were not being adhered to, and therefore, regardless of where we land on the head covering itself and males and females, there was something going on that was a little bit out of line, that was pushing people to the wrong conclusions. I don't know. Mike? We've already talked about the first couple of verses. Does a wife 
praying in the presence of her husband inherently mean uh, that she is usurping authority. It, it can not inherently. Um, does a woman wearing a head covering therefore mean that she is um, acting with a with a pure heart? Um, and there can be women who do have head coverings. Um, and men who do not have head coverings, but the way in which they are presenting themselves while preaching and prophesying is unbecoming of Jesus. That does not negate the fact that if they are to wear head coverings, that they should. We, we can't use the argument of just because it's possible that they're not doing it right, which is so Yeah, well summarized. So. Let's move on. Um, again, I don't, don't want to get bogged down too much here because uh, there's a lot more in this chapter. Uh, let's move on to the next section um, of this idea of the Lord's Supper. We, we talk about this subject a little more often. Um, Ryan McCourt, are you able to read? Um, would you read 17 through 34? Of uh, 1 Corinthians 11, and again, what version are you reading from? Yes, okay. 17 through 34, please. But in the following instruction, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I fear that there are divisions among you, and I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. But do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment, very good, thank you. This passage uh, is definitely one that we read often, especially at the Lord's table. You know, before we partake, um, I've heard this um, 
brought up multiple times throughout my lifetime. Um, probably not as much as the first half of this chapter. Um, but, you know, sometimes we struggle with things we study more often and don't quite um, see the, uh, the whole context here. Because, again, we just kind of pull this one section out uh, as we partake of the Lord's table. Uh, think about and commune with each other and with God. And um, so, you know, there's, there's definitely some interesting things that Paul mentions here. Um, again, here's more divisions. Here's more challenges that the Corinthians were dealing with. And it involved the purpose of their gathering. And um, so, let me see. So, what's the purpose of coming together and what is not the purpose of coming together. I, I like, you know, if you take notes, uh, this phrase, coming together, is mentioned uh, four times in this section. 17 says, come together. 18, come together. 20, come together. 33, um, come together. And then, you know, we also read Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. There is this idea of coming together. What does that entail? What does it not entail? What is Paul uh, helping them emphasize here? There was an actual assembly that there was a purpose. Okay. What else? Josh and let's see. Josh. Well, it says the thing that they're trying to do in verse 20 is eat the Lord's Supper, but they're not accomplishing that okay. by the way they're acting. All right. Yes. So that is the purpose. Uh, but they're not accomplishing that. I think it's important to train it. Um, it seems like they're coming together, so to speak, to show off their differences. And really, they're supposed to be coming to show their unity. Okay, so they're emphasizing their inequality with each other. There seems to be some um, socioeconomic uh, issue that some people were being filled to the gills and some people were going home hungry that they were uh, supplanting um, this partaking and elevating it to a whole different level and uh, this uh, almost greediness of grabbing and taking rather than waiting. I think it's important. Bob? And keyboard is purpose. There, this, this whole section, 11 through 14 and even beyond, uh, shows us that God has designed things with a purpose. Mm -hmm. And whether you're talking about the covenant, 
of the Lord's Supper, there's a purpose behind that. And when you start doing things outside of that purpose, you detract from the uh, meaning of it. And, and so uh, all of these chapters are trying to get the Corinthians back to organized, simple, uh, purposeful worship. And uh, the same thing with the Lord's Supper. Good. Um, all right. So, um, why did Paul remind them of the Last Supper? Why did he go back to that initial time where Jesus was on the brink of sacrifice? Why did he go back there? What was the importance of of sharing this story again. Jill? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't part of it be that the Gospels hadn't been written yet? So they would have had this recorded. Okay, alright. So, yeah, it's possible that they didn't have these other stories written down. That's, that's an interesting thought. Yeah? Uh, no, sorry, Daniel? I think that's uh, part of that story of why he's going back to this sacrifice, Raymond. You know, it, even that phrase, on the night when he was betrayed, I mean, that just brings back a flood of not just not only the betrayal, but the whole mockery of a, a trial, the, the whole thing. I mean, just that phrase, on the night which he, when he was betrayed, should create some emotion. This was a highly emotional story. Continue. Also, it, it gives you a new respect for when we do the Lord's Supper and we, we focus as a collective. Um, when someone gets up and talks, so we, we dedicate full service to it. Because think about taking it unworthily. Like, I don't know what it looked like than taking the Lord's Supper where if there was a hierarchy or a class or an economic division. But I would think of disorder. I, would, I would really think of what not to boast, it's just the, the way it's done here. There's a lot of uh, respect, and someone gets up and always focuses the, the collective mind back to him. But just imagine that we take that for granted sometimes. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that next. Um, other thoughts on this? Yeah, Craig. he does something that he actually just did. When they're struggling with something, he, he always points them back to Remember back when God set this thing up? You know, so he just did that with the head coach. He did. It is interesting. Or, you know, marriage uh -huh. in Ephesians 5. Remember uh -huh. when marriage was first introduced? 
I think that's important. Yeah. Good. Luke. So you read the gospel account for the last supper. You find out that in the middle of the meal, Jesus got up and washed their feet. You usually do it at the beginning or the end. If you look at Luke's account, Luke's account is another detail. It doesn't tell you about the, all the details about when he was washing the feet. But he does tell you why the other accounts reported that he washed the feet, which is an argument started in the Passover meal about who is the greatest. Well, this is ironic because this is exactly what the Corinthians are doing. It's like having not read it. That is an interesting uh, insight. Yeah. Uh, right. When he's uh, setting this up um, during Passover, he, what he's about to do through the crucifixion and his resurrection is to bring together all sorts of different people um, that would otherwise have nothing to do with each other. He unites them in a way that uh, is really inexplicable, uh, except for that it was by God's own hand. And you know, Paul That unification, that is so interesting. Uh, that's exactly what it is intended to do. And yeah, they were totally neglecting that. I think that's important to look at. I want to ask this question before we uh, conclude here. What does it mean to eat in an unworthy manner? As uh, Raymond kind of alluded to, that there was this idea uh, there in verse 27, you know, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. What are we talking about there, Tony? Thank you. 
And again, we just mentioned that this is not a light-hearted meal. This is a, an emotional outpouring of communing with each other as we take this together. That's the reason we come together, that we're doing this together, and that we are acknowledging and proclaiming Jesus until He comes. That we are also proclaiming something that there is an important part of this. And so this talking about an unworthy manner, um, I don't know, Ryan, thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I think he's saying that if they're doing it the way that they're doing it, then this isn't just a matter of you know, they're not performing the ritual correctly. He's saying you don't get it. You don't get the gospel. Uh, this is not compatible with the gospel, treating each other the way we do. You're know, not understanding both the body that Jesus sacrificed and what he wanted to accomplish, but also the body of the church and how it's supposed to be unified. Yeah. And I don't think this is a, uh, a not partaking this week because I've, I've just been a, a sinner this week. I don't think that that unworthiness is a self-reflective like, well, I haven't had a good week this week. I'm just going to not take of the Lord's Supper today. I don't think that's what he's talking about. He is saying, if you're doing this in a manner that is not in accordance with what we're trying to do here, because he says, let a man examine himself, 28, and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. He doesn't give then a, well, and if you're not worthy, here's, you know, you need to back out of that. He says, you need to examine yourself and eat and drink in a worthy manner. He's saying, make sure that you're doing the purpose of what we're doing here. So there's there's a lot of challenges with this chapter, a lot of challenging uh, issues, but I think we understand that this is a joining together. This is a understanding our roles with each other, how we affect each other, and making sure that we're remembering Jesus in the right way. So, thank you for your comments and I really appreciate that. Um, and we will pick up in chapter, no, yeah, chapter 12 on Sunday. Thank you.